Welcome to the Filmmaker's Toolkit podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett, the Associate Craft Editor over at IndieWire. And I'll be honest, I have been gunning for this episode of the show for quite some time. Our Flag Means Death is a bonkers television show. It's pretty nuts. It is simultaneously a workplace sitcom. It is a layered ensemble romance show that covers all corners of the spectrum. It is a pirate adventure. And above all, it is very, very funny. So I had the privilege of sitting down with two of the men who are very responsible for this show being so uniquely what it is. Uh, I spoke to creator David Jenkins and director slash actor on the show, Taika Waititi. And they talk a little bit about everything from balancing the tone of the show to how they collaborate with each other, the differences between directing for film and TV, and some of the visual effects advancements that even made a show like Our Flag Means Death possible. And so let's just go ahead and get to the treasure. Here's David Jenkins and Taika Waititi. Filmmaker's Toolkit is sponsored this week by Barry for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other categories. The critically acclaimed HBO original series Barry, starring Emmy winner Bill Hader as Barry, follows as he desperately tries to leave his violent past behind in favor of his newfound passion, attempting to untangle himself from the world of contract killing and fully immerse himself in acting. All of the excellent episodes of the show are now streaming on HBO Max, and if you want to learn more about the series, we have a toolkit episode with Bill Hader on Barry. You should check it out. Yeah, thank thank you both for agreeing to do this do to do this and and kind of late on a, a Friday. I really appreciate it. To kind of start, this is I guess more for you, David, but but for both of you, it's like kind of a wild that this has the bones of a workplace sitcom. It has this like Douglas Sirkian slow burn romance developing throughout it, and then there are pirates. Um, so I'm curious when you're you're thinking about balancing those sometimes what could be at odds elements, like how, how you think about the show visually, where you're kind of trying to inject the emotion of the show into. Mm. What was the Douglas Serkian thing that you said? What is that? I don't know what that is. Um, he was a director in the 50s, a melodrama director. And I just like when I see some of the blood red skies um, and some of the costumes in Our Flag Means Death, it reminds me of what he did with color. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I just I like stuff that feels like it shifts kind of tonally, especially if it's a comedy, because I think sometimes you can get into like a comedy rhythm and it stays in that rhythm. Um, or sometimes you can have like a, a really like sad comedy that's not funny. And so I like if it kind of alternates so I don't fall asleep or 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 so I don't stop feeling. I guess that's the yeah. other part of it. Sometimes if you don't fall asleep and you're having too much fun, you stop feeling and it turns into a cartoon. So I like it if it goes back and forth and you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And is that like back and forth kind of intuitive for you? Does it change from like project to project? Like, how are you thinking about balancing those elements? I mean, I've, I I've came kind of from doing theater and I feel like, Taika, you came from live stuff too, doing improv. And to me, like laughter is the sound of uh, the audience is with you. It's funny with the play, like in the first 10 minutes of a play because you sit down and you're looking around and you see the stage and then you're looking at the actors and you're not even listening to the lines 
you don't really hear the first 10 minutes of a play. But the first laugh, when you're on stage, you know that the audience is with you. And then when you're in the audience, you know that you're, you're suddenly into the world of the play. And it doesn't really happen until you hear that first laugh. Um, no matter no matter what it is, it could be like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or whatever. So it's it always feels good to me to have some naturalism going and then some ridiculous comedy happening at the same time. It feels like that's very important in the look of the series too, because it has to you know we kind of have to believe that we're in the Caribbean, but there's this very sort of theatrical space for the comedy to do what it wants to do. And so I'm curious how you guys thought about how exaggerated to make the look of the show or or sort of finding calibrating you know how master and commander the ship was going to be versus not i don't i mean taika set the look what you, i mean what were you thinking with that well i know that we, early on we talked about whether or not it would be authentic you know right down the line and it was yeah and definitely like i like the idea of the ship being as authentic as possible and being as real as possible and having all of the details there. And then you know, it's great for the actors and it's just visually, it's really lovely to, to see. You never see anything that looks, that has that scale and it looks expensive. And it's also funny. Like, you know, it's like when people say, Oh, we'll make a comedy. And it's like, you have $5 to do it. <laughs> and you know, and then the boat's like this, the boat just looks crappy. And it's like some eighties comedy where it's you know, one barrel, two bits of rope, and mm-hmm. one bit of railing, and that's it. And the set never changes, and the angle never changes. It's in front of a live audience. Um, but this one having a ship that we can move around anywhere we wanted, um, and look in any direction, and be as cinematic as we wanted, or as plain and make it look as boring as we wanted, um, we had all of those choices. Um, and I think it's really great when, especially with comedy, if you can do that. Like um, what we do in the shadows, the film, we wanted to like have a space where we looked. We put a whole lot of detail into that and then essentially just made a boring comedy about flatmates. And we had the same set designer from that film who did mm-hmm. um, our flag, Ra Vincent, and, um, and he's brilliant at that. And, it, yeah, just, I don't know, it just it freed everything up, I thought. And also we, with the characters, because the characters that David had created, you know, were, a lot of them were pretty outlandish and, uh, and quite extreme. And so that space can't be too crazy. It's got to be the real world that you insert those characters into it, even like the wardrobe and stuff. And you've got a lot of freedom there, like even with Blackbeard, you know, like going, okay, he's basically Mad Max, but on the high seas. He's a biker, um, a sad biker. It just makes sense when you put it into that world. But if it's like, you know, if, if suddenly you just push that too far and and the props and the, and the um, locations and the sets feel really contemporary as well, then it's you kind of break it. Yeah, I think the thing that was important to me just in prepping it before we started shooting and uh, when we were building it, I just wanted to throw as much stuff at it to kind of destabilize pirate stuff because pirates, it all looks the same. It's always like damp wood and like like white shirts and it's always really beautifully done and it's always shot dark. It's often shot dark. I don't know about always, but often. And so to just go like the opposites where I actually, um, we have such a good DP, Mike Berlucci is absolutely incredible. And starting with him and saying like, okay, let's not use any seafaring references at all. 
And we actually ended up looking more like I, I kind of he's inclined this way, but I was pushing him more to like um, inherent vice has really beautiful um, shots, um, jaws and that kind of like Spielberg 70s, 80s kind of like um, desaturated, but very romantic in a way. To me, those are things that I haven't seen in a pirate thing before. But for whatever reason, it made me feel like, oh, we're near the ocean. Um, that kind of like West Coast light, even though it's not right for the Caribbean, there's something romantic about it. Yeah. And this is a this is a, a midlife crisis this guy is having. So it has to be kind of romantic on some level, even when he's. That's right. The lighting it's got it does have that very LA feel. Yeah. I'm, I'm in LA right now at Magica, and you know I'm in in the valley, and you know that's I mean that's Peter Anderson's like wheelhouse. It's like everything look he makes this place look beautiful. And, you know, the shittiness of a boat and the monotony and, yeah, just that world, if it can look beautiful from time to time. It also plays into the romance novel feel of this whole thing where, you know, you don't want to do it all the time, but me and David, we talked about this really early on. It's like now and then there's earned little moments, mainly between Blackbeard and Steed, where it suddenly turns into a Milton Boone cover. You know, and it's like incredible giant. The sun's the sun is too big, you know, or the moon, the full moon is way too big and unrealistic. But it's in their in their minds. That's what it looks like. Yeah, one of my favorite moments is in the in the pilot because we were talking about like, yeah, what's the difference? And to me, it's a workplace show, so a lot of it should look like Tuesday on a pirate ship, and it's like big stupid flat ocean and like mm-hmm. big stupid sun, and they're just probably hungover and working on this boat. And that's like the workplace part of it. And then at the end of that pilot, especially when Steve's, he's on the edge of the ship and he's thinking about how he killed this guy and how he can't go back home. And he's in this golden, beautiful light and he's Mm -hmm. become a real boy. To go between those extremes to like, oh, this is the grotty everyday workplace. And then there's these moments of, I guess with this guy, I call it mania, where he's achieved his midlife crisis nightmare. Um, but there is something kind of romantic about it, you know, too. Um, and I think that's kind of what what's fun about Steed. No, it tells you everything you need to know about the character, that that's where he has that moment. Yeah. And it's a terrible moment. He just killed somebody. <laughs> and then he's thinking about how he abandoned his family. And, and it's so it's just shot so beautifully. There's the shot coming up the side of the ship around the deck with the techno crane and it's just so beautiful and the performance is so beautiful and then the song choice from maggie phillips that moondog song i cry every time i get to the end of that pilot it's just really lovely i was going to ask you all about the needle drops because that feels like a place where the show really gets to stretch itself and play and sort of bring in other generic influences or like escalate an emotion up to the top because that song does push that moment over the edge. Was that something that was that you guys thought about in prepping the show? Was that in a, a key part of the scripts? Like at what point did you sort of realize that this is this is a thing that we can do and that the chain is going to happen? The chain I knew very early on when we were writing it and I had them clear it and see how much it cost and it's expensive. <laughs> It's an expensive song, um, but it's that one was like I kind of knew I, you know, we were writing and we got to the end of that script and I was listening to music on 
shuffle and that came on and it was like, ah, yeah, that'd be cool. It sounds like a Western and that episode's ridiculous because I was watching Taika, you and Will Arnett shoot and you're dressed like a biker and he's dressed like a cowboy. And then you're going to like go away in a dinghy or something. And that, and that needed like um, Midnight Cowboy, you know, like, <laughs> <or something. laughs> this is fucking crazy. Like, it's just a crazy mix. And that episode in particular, like, I like that there's a Western kind of vibe. It just it just fit. But that the pilot, we didn't know what we were going to end it with. And Maggie found that song and tied it together. Tyke, I'm curious when you're working on a pilot, you're obviously sort of settling on, you know, kind of how the show is going to look and feel. And I'm curious, are there other decisions that you're making to sort of set a template for the directors who are going to follow you? Uh, I, I don't often do pilots or shows. I mean, it's some of the other times I have, I've come in on someone else's show. And, you know, so something like this, it's nice to be able to set the tone and, so, and hope that someone will, that there will be some consistency there. But also... The directors are all very different. I mean, I've watched the rest of these episodes or be directed by these guys. I sort of just let go of any idea of, like, holding on to this thing or, like, you know, there, there was no point at all where I thought, oh, I've got to stop them from doing this because, <laughs> you know, really the consistency comes through David. Like, if, you know, it's, it's his show and it's, um, you know, he was great at, like, just saying, this is not that show. And, you know, it's like needs to be something else. I don't know what it is, but what that decision is, is not the show. That's what you need. Do you feel like that's different than directing, Taika? What, than directing films or just directing? No, just in general, because like, I think the weird the term showrunner is really weird, right? So it is weird because it doesn't really encompass everything that you're doing where you are doing some directing and you're doing producing, you're doing design. And I'll be really honest, like, you know, with like a lot of those hard decisions, yeah, David had made by the time I was yeah was shooting because I'm like you know and if it's someone else's baby and if it's David's idea I'm not going to come in and go you're wrong I'm like you know if you've had this in your head for a year and a half or two years what did you imagine when you pictured this and when you wrote this and then let's do that you're you're freakish in that way like honestly it's it's an amazing thing and i think very few people actually do it where it's like you'll lend everything that you do i mean at least i don't know what you do normally but in this experience like i felt like you're like oh cool mad max and leather and then this other stuff and i sent you know we'd send stuff back and forth but like you just hit the ground and roll with everything in a way that's just uh it's kind of humbling when it's your thing you're like oh my god it's just this is one of my heroes and he's doing it. He's just going to do the shit that we gave him. Fuck. That's awesome. It's cool. It's really cool. I think it's very rare. I don't believe that that's, and I don't know, David Fincher is amazing. I just don't believe that's how David Fincher does a pilot. I just, unless it's my thing, I would feel very nervous just railroading someone's idea or like coming in. Just, it's just, it just just feels weird. And it's, what a weird way to set the tone or set the relationship of a show. Around surrounding a show as well. You, you though, I feel like your thing is that you come from yes and. Yeah, like, sure. I'm like, I, I'm, I, I always believe that there's probably a better idea than the one that I've had rattling around in my head. But I'm always like, is this good? Like, I think having some self doubt or like questioning yourself at all times is good. Yeah. Like once you feel comfortable and you've 
God, if we'd storyboarded this thing a year in advance and just stuck to those panels, it's kind of just like dialing it in. It feels boring. Like this, you know, this, having all of these actors, and like, most of whom are really good at improvising, having people who, like myself and David, and people who can write on the spot and come up with, with stuff and try new things out, and having a DP, like, and, and even Ra, the designer, like, he, you know, I could say, like, hey, how fast do you think you could make a, like, a tiny table? Well, how fast do you think you could do this? And he's like, uh, yeah, hang on a minute. And then, it, and then it's done. So it means that you're free to change stuff in the moment all the time. And, and, and you know, and I always listen to actors as well. They might go, even in the blocking, one of them might be over there pissing around the corner with a, you know, a bit of rope or like a bit of, you know, some prop that, you know, is just sitting around there and you're like, and it sparks something. You're like, oh, let's set that entire scene around that guy doing that thing. And then everyone kind of like just hustles and tries to figure out how to make that look the best. Yeah, that was the thing that was mind blowing watching you that watching you do it because it was like, oh man, it's fun. This is the stuff that you do when you're making like theater or you're making like a little little movie or something. And it's like, ah, oh, we're just we have so many parameters and limitations. There's only so much you can do. But then when you're on something of this size, and then looking at like even the um, where they're gonna go kill the guy and they're gonna attack the ship and they throw all the weapons on the thing, you're almost kind of painting the way you do it specifically, Taika, where I think even the thing where they throw the weapons on the table and just getting the different shots of it. Yeah. And, you, you know, know you can see, you can see in, your, in your mind an, an edit of a certain section or like a sequence and you're like, I think it's this. And like, you know, even when we're talking about like, okay, I know that there's going to be a flashback to Steed being a kid. We're killing the goose. We haven't shot that yet. We know that that's going to come. What would it be like when you think, and then you start thinking, and then when we go and shoot with the kid with the goose and stuff, you're like, oh, now this makes sense. It needs to be a spray of blood on him, and that's the transition. Mm-hmm. And we have to go back and, like, reshoot Steed, seeing that image in his head. Now, so, you know, we should have shot that thing first and then had Reese watch it and go, oh, that's the memory. But, you know, but you just got to keep yourself receptive and open, and it's got to be really playful. Otherwise, it's just a job. It sounds like you're trying to to edit in your head while you shoot. Do you, is there any time where you're like, let's get this covered? Um, or are you really trying to find like specific ends to a scene? I uh, when when there's a lot of people, I I'll I'll probably end up just doing the coverage. So you've you know, it's always good just to tighten things up, to cut to someone, to cut lines up. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, yeah, I'm like I I'm like oh, we don't need that. I know what we're going to be looking at from here and then into this. And it's mainly for me is about transitions between scenes as well. It's like. Mm. You know, and they're really like not super original, but it's like slam a door, thing goes onto a plate, you know, and that's like you're in the next scene. Or it's but they're cool to be able to pull, yeah, you know, to know enough to be able to do with do them. No, and it makes a ton of sense of like that's that's kind of how you organize it so that you know where you're going. But I, you know, I've realized like I've been doing this a long time now, and I would have probably storyboarded a lot of things, and like I'll probably like write do some little stick figure storyboards and like on my own script or something but i can sort of see you know and i'm not saying i'm like got this sort of like russell crowe and beautiful mind kind of like thing where i'm just seeing the whole thing unfurled up before me but i do know enough now to feel very comfortable and confident in a situation i'll set and go like i have to be throwing a pretty big curveball to panic and go we haven't got it we're like there's no way out of the scene it was pretty cool to see we did a reshoot of the pilot it we so we shot the first scene on the first day 
And then that was the last thing we shot on the mm -hmm. last day, which is kind of nice. It would be nice to consciously do that. Uh, you know, we didn't plan that. It was just trying to fix something. But watching the difference in confidence just among the crew, the cast, just because we've been through something. And then just watching Taika, watching you block that and move the Steadicam around the deck of that ship was very intuitive. And it was like, again, it just kind of reminded me of painting. You are really harvesting images. You're like, it's like going to a garden and going, bit of this, bit of that. I don't know why I want that, but I feel I need it. And like then you kind of, knowing that eventually you'll get to the kitchen, you go, that's why I got mainly pumpkin. <laughs> because it's a pumpkin-based dish. Yeah, it was interesting, though. You're right with seeing like the actors, especially like from that first scene we did on the first day. They were finding the characters, they were finding themselves, a lot of them, and you can see that footage, they're like sitting around going, am I even in this, what am I doing? What would, yeah. my, character, what would my character do in this scene? And like, a lot of us sort of sitting around going, what am I doing here? And, and then by the end, that's really like There's a lot of somebody being like, oh, I'm going to coil some rope. So wait, was this the, the first scene of the series or the one where they're all making different flags? The first one where he's talking to them and they're he's like, talk it through as a crew. Ah. Uh, Gotta come back mentally devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if just like did the level of ambition change from sort of your original idea of this david to like doing the scripts to getting into pre-production and realizing we have any led wall we can do more stuff did did the scale of the show adjust at all or was it kind of in your head the way it is i mean i didn't i feel like we didn't even realize how that we had to grapple with water <laughs> it's so true you're like yeah. Yeah, how high can it be it's on the yeah. park like, oh cool we love the script it's picked up write a bunch of episodes and then you're like i no thought into like how we were going to shoot it Really, and then, you find out, and then you find out shooting on the water and shooting on boats is probably the hardest thing and most time consuming thing and laborious and dangerous thing. And, and bad to, luck. To, and, and just bad luck. And just bad luck. And you're just relying on, like, I talked to Russell Crowe about this but on Master and Commander, and he was, <laughs> he was like, man, that's like days. You'd be days at sea with shooting nothing. <laughs> you'd just be stuck out there, and then it's, you'd be like, perfect light, and then a hurricane would just turn up. And then you're like, nope. And then everyone would be like getting jet boats back to shore, hoping not to like drown. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you do a reverse because like the weather's changed by the time you're going to turn around. Like it just seems I that's I, you know, I, I don't even know why it didn't. Of course, the shot master and commander on the water, but it's mind boggling to me that they did that. Now, just talking about it right now, it would be so hard. So I, in terms of this, you know, you're writing a comedy, you've got to move fast. You have X amount of days to do this, to defuse this bomb that is the script. And it quickly became like a thing that we could do this thing called the volume, which is like how they do the Mandalorian. Basically you project, there's basically just a wall of TVs and you can project whatever environment or background you want on there, a night sky, you could, you know, and often for us it was the ocean. And sometimes you'd adjust where the sun was and then you'd enhance that light with other lights. And, and it's just, it's great. It's, it's like making films in the 20s or 30s. It's like back projection. 
it's just going back to an old style of making films where actors can actually see what you're asking them to look at, as opposed to like, here's a tennis ball, big blue wall. It's a dragon. Except, like, I don't know. I actually saw this. I saw the interview thingy you did with Ra on Deadline, Taika, and you were talking about how you actually don't really get to be on an entire set a lot of the time. Is that true with the ship and the screen and everything? Is it normally just like pieces of set? Yeah, normally, yeah. And that's the first time I've seen a set so big that it actually moves as well. And where you could move the camera around so freely, you know, and we'd done a lot of that on Mandalorian and, and even on Love and Thunder. And, uh, but yeah, just for though, this was a very free use of the volume and, and I, and I guess also because we had live action oceans out there, it just felt like it was the perfect use. Uh, it's the perfect application for this, for what we needed. Yeah, the hardest thing was creating anything in a dinghy where you can see the where you look down and you can see into the ocean. That those were very expensive because you're just looking at a concrete floor, and then you have your VFX person there. We had the a guy named David Van Dyke who is brilliant, but you don't know because they're like, yeah, I think it'll work, and then you don't know until you're in post, like way later if this will work or not so you're just kind of like oh it's a concrete floor i don't know if that's gonna look good um and then they build it and it's beautiful those are some of my favorite shots are rowing away in those little dinghies that was yeah. just grips pulling it across a concrete floor and even if you have this thing meticulously planned out you still don't know if those things are going to work until you hit post and thank god they did i i'm very curious sort of what that changes in terms of not only the actors having more complete information like having a, a set with a full set and the volume but also what kind of freedoms that give you in terms of creating some of those like dynamic lighting moments just from watching the freedom of playing and the ease of playing i mean i i, I don't have you know nearly um Taika's experience working on marble things and having the set fractured and having part of it be green screen. But when you have a unified set, especially in that 109 episode where they're being there in court essentially, and it's a big courtroom scene on the ship that, that I love that. It just feels like theater to me. You can shoot down the length of the set and it, it there's all this beautiful depth. I mean, Rob Vincent's sets, you have to be able to shoot across and do all of these things with, cause they're beautiful and you're not capturing it. If you're shooting it like Seinfeld and like flat, like, so to be able to do those things on that set, I think, I think you can feel it in the episodes. I think you can feel like a company of people working on a thing and reacting together. I feel like you feel it. Did it feel different to you in any way, Taika from doing like Marvel stuff? I think I just felt a bit more freedom with it because well, I mean, maybe, but maybe because it was an Earth location, it was on the you know, on floor. A lot of these from different worlds. You know, like, is that does that look real? Does that look? Is that what this alien planet's going to look like? So, you're like, a lot of the time, you're just judging that. You're like, I don't know about this, and so sometimes you cover yourself and just go, oh, let's just make it blue and just fix it later, sort it out later. But like, you know, for me, one of the best uses of it is just seeing stuff in camera and watching it back on the monitor and going, that's good enough to put in the shit. It's like, it's good. 
It's crazy. When you see it, shoot, shoot it. And you're like, you could just put like the little like TV station logo in the bottom right corner and watch this. And it's like literally going into camera. It's like mind blowing. It's amazing. Thank you both so much. This has been an amazing conversation and congrats again on just a tremendous series. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. It's fun. Yeah, of course. Filmmaker's Toolkit is also sponsored this week by The Staircase for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited Series in all other categories. The critically acclaimed HBO Max original limited series, The Staircase, inspired by a true story, explores the life of Michael Peterson, played by Colin Firth, his sprawling North Carolina family, and the suspicious death of his wife, Kathleen Peterson, played by Tony Collette. All episodes are now streaming on HBO Max. 